Please rise for the reading of God's Word. We are in John chapter 19. John chapter 19, if you need a Bible, raise your hand. Raise your hand if you need a Bible, John chapter 19. Okay. John chapter 19, verse 28. This is Jesus. He's on the cross here. And after this, Jesus, knowing that all things were now accomplished, that the scripture might be fulfilled, said, I thirst. And now a vessel full of sour wine was sitting there, and they filled a sponge with sour wine, put it on hyssop, and Put it to his mouth. So when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, It is finished. And bowing his head, he gave up his spirit. And therefore, because it was the preparation day that the body should not remain on the cross on the Sabbath, for the Sabbath was a high day, the Jews asked Pilate that their legs might be broken and that they might be taken away. Then the soldiers came and broke the legs of the first and of the other who was crucified with him. But when they came to Jesus and saw that he was already dead, they did not break his legs. But one of the soldiers pierced his side with a spear, and immediately blood and water came out. And he who has seen has testified, and his testimony is true, and he knows that he is telling the truth so that you may believe. For these things were done that the scripture should be fulfilled. Not one of his bones shall be broken. And again, another scripture says, they shall look on him whom they pierced. And after this, Joseph of Arimathea, being a disciple of Jesus, but secretly for fear of the Jews, asked Pilate that he might take away the body of Jesus, and Pilate gave him permission. So he came and took the body of Jesus, and Nicodemus, who at first came to Jesus by night, also came, bringing a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about a hundred pounds. And then they took the body of Jesus and bound it in its strips of linen with the spices, as the custom of the Jews is to bury Now in the place where he was crucified, there was a garden, and in the garden a new tomb in which no one had yet been laid. So there they laid Jesus because of the Jews' preparation day, for the tomb was nearby. Father, we we thank you for this record, Lord. We've been reading, Lord, for, for two years. Lord, about, uh, first about the, the life of Jesus, then we've been uh, reading uh, about his, his passion, his suffering in the Garden of Gethsemane, and then we read about his death, and today his burial. Lord, we don't want to miss anything of what you have for us. We know that this is in here for us, for our hearts, for, for you to be glorified in our lives. But, but how could that happen through reading about his burial, Lord? Well, please tell us, Lord, through your word. I pray this 
In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, you may be seated. You may be seated. So can there be any doubt as you look around at what's happening on planet Earth? Can there be any doubt that man needs a savior? Can there be any doubt as you look at the world today that man cannot save himself? He needs a savior. How could man ever save himself? So often he's his own worst enemy. So often I'm my own worst enemy. We need a savior. And Jesus was born. After, actually, before he was born. What did the angel uh, say to Joseph, the husband of Mary? The angel said this, you shall call the baby's name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Matthew one twenty one. The, the word Jesus, same, same as the word Joshua, it's Greek for Joshua, is, means God saves, Jehovah saves. You shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Then what did the angels declare to the shepherds when Jesus was born? There is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Man needs a Savior. And so here in John chapter 19, verse 30, just a few moments before Jesus, uh, before his death, Jesus cries out, it is finished. Actually, one of the other gospels says he cried that out with a loud voice. It is finished. What is finished? Everything that was necessary for you and I to be saved, for salvation to come into the world. Jesus, perfect in his life, tempted in every way just as we have been, yet without sin, on the cross, taking on our our sin and the guilt of our sin on the cross, being punished by God the Father for our sin. As we read last week in Isaiah 53.10, it pleased the Father to bruise him. Not to, didn't please the Father to see him, Jesus, his only begotten son in suffering, but because of the reconciliation, because of the salvation, the restoration with, with you, with me, with untold millions of men and women. That was going to happen because of the Father bruising him on the cross. It is finished. Remember in Genesis chapter 2, God said of man, let us make man in our image. That image, the image of God, the likeness of God, the reflection of God, the glory of God, ruined by sin. Just ruined, crumbled by, 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 by sin, that now everything now on the cross, moments before his death, everything that was necessary to restore what was lost by sin was finished. It was done. It was accomplished. It is finished, Jesus says. And then verse 30 at the end, it says, he bowed his head and he gave up his spirit. Now what happens next here in John, you don't read about in Matthew 
Mark, and Luke. This is new detail that you don't have in those books. It's detail about what happens between the time he died and the time he was taken down from the cross. We don't read about this detail in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Remember, this book written about 40 years after Matthew, Mark, and Luke. So let's get into this detail. Verse 31 says this. You can read along with me. It says, therefore, because it was preparation day, that the body should not remain on the cross on the Sabbath, for that Sabbath was a high day, the Jews asked Pilate, remember Pilate was the Roman judge who actually was the one who gave Jesus over to be crucified. They asked Pilate that their legs, meaning the, the two thieves and Jesus, that their legs might be broken and that they might be taken away. So what's going on here? Why do they not want the bodies to be upon the crosses during the Sabbath? Well, we find the reason in the Old Testament. Actually, we just posted this from Deuteronomy 21 uh, online because I'm going through Deuteronomy. Throughout the Old Testament, time and time and time again, there are verses which are a foreshadowing of Jesus, the Messiah, his life, his death, his resurrection. One of the many, 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 many verses in Deuteronomy 21, kind of a gory one, but here you have it, Deuteronomy 21 22 and 23, if a man has committed a sin deserving of death and he is put to death, and it should say after that, really you can put that in between the lines, and after that you hang him on a tree, his body shall not remain overnight on the tree, but you shall surely bury him that day so that you do not defile the land which the Lord your God is giving you as an inheritance. For he who is hanged is a cursed by God. It's a foreshadowing of Jesus here. So leaving a dead body on a tree, remember throughout the Bible, the cross and the tree, it's, kinda, it's, it's more or less synonymous, was a big no-no on the Sabbath, last day of the week, a day of rest, day focus, the, the people were to be, Jews were to be focused on God, a big no-no, leaving a dead body um, overnight, but particularly on a Sabbath, and this Sabbath, it says here, that Sabbath, middle of verse 31, says was, was a high day, meaning it was in the middle of the Passover feast. So this, was a, this Sabbath was a big, big, big deal. So remember, Sabbath begins at night, at dusk, rather, to dusk of the next day. So they had to get these bodies off the crosses because the night was approaching. By the way, this very thing in Galatians, it says that Jesus became a curse for us, and it quotes those very verses in Deuteronomy, that he hung on a tree for us. So they request that Jesus, in this verse, that his legs be broken. They go to the Roman judge and say, can you please break his legs for us because we don't want him to be there at night. What is that about? Well, remember we discussed this. Uh, when a man was crucified, they actually died many times from asphyxiation, meaning they can't breathe, suffocation. The reason for that is 
don't do this yourself, but if, if, you, if, if you're hanging like this, uh, your body's going to sag down, which makes it very difficult to breathe. And so um, after a while, the men would lose their strength and they just couldn't breathe anymore. They died by asphyxiation. The only way they stayed alive on the cross was by keeping themselves up, which it's, again, it's a gory scene, but because the, the, the feet are nailed to the cross as well, they literally had to push themselves up on the nail. It's a terrible death. Jesus died for you. So, but when the legs are broken, death soon follows because they can't hold themselves up anymore. So they ask for his legs to be broken. Verse 32, let's continue. Then the soldiers came and broke the legs of the first and of the other who was crucified with him. But when they came to Jesus and saw that he was already dead, they did not break his legs, but one of the soldiers pierced his side with a spear and immediately blood and water came out. And he who has seen has testified and his testimony is true and he knows that he is telling the truth so that you may believe. So why does John include this detail that Matthew, Mark, and Luke do not include? Why does he include this detail 40 years later, maybe 30 years Later, why does he include this detail? Blood and water coming out. What's, a, what's this about? Legs being broken. Well, the one reason was is that people had begun to spread the rumor that Jesus had never died on the cross, that his disciples had whisked him away and hid him and made up the story about the resurrection. Does that sound crazy? Yeah, it's crazy. But it's popular to this day. In fact, a Harvard professor, yes, I said Harvard professor, wrote a paper that Jesus escaped from the cross, married Mary Magdalene, went to modern-day Tur Turkey, and had at least two children. They, they really talk about this stuff over there. Sorry, I know a number of you go to Harvard, but uh, that's what, just warning, that's what they talk about over there. And, but those rumors really had started at the time. And, and, and listen, it, 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 it may sound crazy to you, but really it's not crazy at all. Because listen, if people know, if people hear this, that Jesus Christ died, was buried, and rose again after three days, and then was seen by over 500 people, as it says in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, and then he ascended into heaven and sat down at the right hand of God, if people hear that, and they say, okay, now, if I believe that, if that's really true, uh, th that means I got to give up my life to this God. I, I need to give up every eensy-teensy bit of my life to this Son of God. I need to, as, as, as we heard in the worship today, surrender my life. And that's the last thing the natural man wants to do. Last thing that the natural man wants to do, so he starts making up crazy stories. But that Jesus uh, actually didn't die on the cross. You don't have to worry about surrendering to that God. So fairy tales. 
You can stay in control of your own life. You can make up your own conception of who God is because the resurrection is not true. Well, of course, we do know it's true, but, but what John is saying in verse 35 is this. No, he did die. I was there. I saw a Roman uh, soldier thrust a spear through his side into his heart, and not only blood came out, but water poured out of his body. That's the point there. And that's why he says there, and verse 35, and he who has seen has testified, he's speaking of himself, and his testimony is true, and he knows that he is telling the truth so that you may believe. An interesting thing about the water, now I do get a little self-conscious, talking about a medical condition or when there's doctors in the room, which there are, but, but I understand from medical, that medical doctors will tell you that when a person is suffering from asphyxiation, suffocation, can't breathe, that one of the things that happens is that fluids can gather around the heart in the pericardium, that's a sac around the heart. In addition to that, same thing, water fluid around the heart can happen when a man or woman suffers from, I'll try to pronounce it right, hypovolemic shock. Now, what's hypovolemic shock? Write this down. It, you really impressed someone this week. It's, when, it's what happens when a person has lost over 20% of their blood, blood or body fluid, which no doubt happened to Jesus. And, and, and so it's highly likely that this occurred. And so the Roman soldier pierces Jesus' side up into his heart, blood and water flow out. And John is saying, I saw it. Don't try to tell me that Jesus did not die. Don't let anyone, don't let anyone convince you of that. No, believe me, I was there is what he is saying. Let's go to verse 36. For these things were done that the scriptures should be fulfilled. Not one of his bones shall be broken. Remember the Roman soldiers went. They, again, gory scene, they used like a, a, kind of like a sledgehammer to break the, the legs of the, uh, one, the thief on his right and the thief on his left. They saw that he was already dead and they didn't do it to him because they saw he was already dead. Not, but, but these things were done, verse 36, so the scripture would be fulfilled. Not one of his bones shall be broken. Verse 37, and again, another scripture says, they shall look on him whom they have Pierced. And so quickly, let's, uh, let's go through these verses uh, one at a time. Verse 36, not one of his bro bones shall be broken. It says that this was an Old Testament scripture that was fulfilled by Jesus' legs not being broken. And the idea here is that Jesus... is a fulfillment of Passover. He's a fulfillment of what happened to the Passover lamb. If, could we get that verse, Dave, 1 Corinthians 5, 7, says, for indeed Christ, our Passover, was sacrifice for us. Uh, the, it, it, remember what the Passover was. Now they're in the middle of the Passover feast. All these events that are taking place, the Last Supper, the Garden of Gethsemane, his death, 
his burial, it's all happened during the, the, uh, the Passover feast, which is really, it's an eight-day feast. And, and so uh, it, it's all happening. Jesus is a fulfillment, not only of the, the feast, but the Passover lamb uh, itself. Remember when John the Baptist, we talked about this last week, uh, when Jesus first went to get baptized, first went, uh, uh, he was there, and, and John said what? Behold the Lamb of God. He was, he was referring to the lambs with that, not only that were the sin offerings, but the Passover lamb. Remember in the Old Testament in the book of Exodus, the, uh, the Israelites, they're in Egypt. Uh, God is going to take them and rescue them from slavery. On the very last night they were there was the final judgment of God against um, Egypt. It was the angel of death. The 10th plague was going to go and kill all the firstborn. And, and, and God came to Moses and said, say this to the people. Uh, the, let, so the angel of death passes over you. You need to tell the people to do this. At, their, at the doorpost, on the doorpost of their house, or on the door of their house, they need to, to take a lamb, the blood of a lamb, and they need to put on top of the door some of the blood, and on the sides of the door, blood. It was like the sign of the cross is what it was. Some of the blood would have dripped down. Sign of the cross. And one of the amazing things it says about the, 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 the lamb from, from which the blood was taken uh, was this verse, Exodus 12, 46. In one house the Passover lamb shall be eaten. You shall not carry any of the flesh outside the house, nor shall you break one of its bones. Now pause, think about that. Pilate had given an order to break Jesus' legs. He gave the order. And it didn't happen. The soldiers actually disobeyed the order. Why? Well, this prophecy was being fulfilled. Jesus had already died. And so that's why it says, uh, verse 36, these things were done, that the scripture should be fulfilled, not one of his bones shall be broken. Verse 37, and again, another scripture was, fu uh, was fulfilled, or of, of which it was said, they shall look on him whom they pierced. And so uh, we read in Zechariah, this, this is the more expanded version. Again, this is written about five or six hundred years before Jesus uh, was crucified, they, who's they? The children of Israel, will look on me whom they pierced. Yes, they will mourn for him as one mourns for his only son and grieve for him as one grieves for a firstborn. So this is another scripture that's being fulfilled, although the, the complete fulfillment will be when Jesus returns and, and all Israel understands, wow, he was who we, he said he was. He was the Messiah. And it says they'll, they'll look on him who they pierce and, and, and they'll weep. Look what we did. So that's uh, verses 37 and 38. The death of Jesus. Jesus Christ, the prophet Isaiah, calls him the wonderful. I, I love that name for, for Jesus. He's called the wonderful. Don't you like that? He's called the counselor, the prince of peace. He, interestingly, he's also called the everlasting father. He's, he's one with the father. 
He's called the mighty God. Jesus Christ, called the Lion of Judah. Jesus Christ, the Ancient of Days. He's called the King of Glory. He's dead, hanging on the cross. Here. Dead on the cross. As we talked about last week, the central event of all human history. The crucifixion. All history beforehand looked towards, looked towards the cross, looked to the cross. All history after looks back to the cross. It's a sobering thing to be reading about this, isn't it? The book of John. But let's continue. Verse 38. Verse 38 says, After this, Joseph of Arimathea, being a disciple of Jesus, but secretly, for fear of the Jews, asked Pilate that he might take away the body of Jesus, and Pilate gave him permission. So he came and took the body of Jesus. And Nicodemus, who at first came to Jesus by night, also came bringing a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about 100 pounds. Then they took the body of Jesus and bound it up in strips of linen with, with spices as the custom of the Jews to bury. Now in the place where he was crucified, there was a garden. Interesting, man fell in the garden of Eden. Sin came in, ruined. But he's restored in the garden of Gethsemane. And here, another garden. It says, in the place where he was crucified, verse 41, there was a garden, and in the garden a new tomb in which no one had ever laid. So there, there they led, laid Jesus because of the Jews' preparation day, for the tomb was nearby. In other words, they didn't go, have to go way outside the city to bury him. They buried him right near the cross. Put him in the tomb there. Now notice Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus here. Joseph of Arimathea in verse 38. It says that he was a disciple of Jesus, but secretly. And then in verse 39, uh, it says, and Nicodemus. These were the two men who, uh, who, uh, who buried him. And Nicodemus, who at first came to Jesus by night. Remember that in John chapter 3. Also, a secret disciple. Now, it's amazing that the only way that Jesus was going to get a proper burial <laughs> was if someone went to Pilate to get the body. Because otherwise, the Romans just... Basically, they, they threw the bodies into a common grave. The Valley of Hinnom, where the, uh, near Jerusalem, a place of burning. They just used to throw the dead bodies there. Of course, that would have gone against prophecy itself. Uh, itself more, a little more on that later. But, but they had none of the uh, none of the Jesus apostles. First of all, there's only one there, and and they were uneducated guys they had not people of influence they were not going to be able to go into the roman judge the roman governor and say hey can i have that body of joseph of arimathea um, it says this it says mark 15 4, uh, 43 joseph of arimathea a prominent council member meaning he was on the jewish sanhedrin meaning uh, this governing council that governed all the jews throughout the world 
Joseph of Arimathea, a prominent council member who was himself waiting for the kingdom of God, coming, at, uh, coming and took courage, went into Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. You know, quickly, God has resources. That gigantic problem in your life that you don't think there's any resource, any way God can, can, can rescue you from it. The apostles are thinking, how can he possibly get a bearer? Listen, God has resources that you know nothing about. The apostles didn't know about their secret uh, uh, disciples on the ruling council. They had no idea this was going on. God has resources you know nothing about. But he's, it says he was secret. He's a secret. But he took courage and he came out. Dave, do we have the proverb there? The pro, in the Proverbs, it says this. It says, the wicked flee when no one pursues, but the righteous are as bold as a lion. Proverbs 28.1. Joseph, a disciple in secret. Nicodemus, a disciple in secret. But they take courage and they come out. You know, some of you, you're a secret disciple. And, I, and, and you know, say, I, I don't even say this to make you feel guilty. It's, it's, it's really wonderful, the grace and mercy of God, that both Nicodemus and of John, it never condemns them. Joseph. Rather, uh, Joseph, of their, Joseph and, and Nicodemus, it never condemns them. It says they're secret disciples, but never really condemns them. You can continue being a secret disciple, and you will go to heaven. But the problem is, is you'll be miserable there. There is joy in coming out with courage. They came out with courage. How many times, in, in three years earlier, two years earlier, uh, Nicodemus came at night and, 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 and he said to Jesus, you know, there's no way someone could do everything that you're doing, all the miracles, and, and not be from God. What did Jesus say to him? Unless a man is born, born again he cannot see the kingdom of God how many times did that go through his mind over the next two years up to this point in John chapter 19 unless a man is born again unless a man is born again unless a man is born again at some point brother, sister a secret disciple at work secret disciple at school at school, secret disciple at, you know, in your family. You got to come out. You got to take courage. And Mark, it says they took courage and went out. The Bible says, you know, it, blessed are the persecuted. You know, a better translation in all my years res reading those Beatitudes, blessed are the poor in spirit, blessed are those who mourn, blessed are, 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 are peacemakers. Over the years, I've come to realize a better translation is happy. And we can discuss another sermon for another day. But happiness or joy. Happy are the persecuted. Miserable are the ones who stay in secret 
out of fear of persecution. You know, there's a lot of college students here. I, I want to, as we're nearing the end of the message here, I want to I tell you about a story. When I was in college, I went to Wake Forest in North Carolina, and I, did not, I was not a Christian. I didn't become a Christian until after college. But my sophomore year, there was, uh, there was a guy um, who lived in uh, a suite of about eight rooms, and I used to go into the suite all the time because the folks that I, I roomed with my freshman year were there, so I used to go in there. And in there, there was a man, a young man, a kid, I guess you could say at the time, he was 19. His name was Greg Johnson. Now, some of you have heard this story before, and uh, I apologize uh, about that. It's the kind of story that, wow, it'd be good for me to share a hundred times. This guy, Greg Johnson, um, he... He was a Christian, and I mean, this guy was the real deal. Just, he was so kind. He never hid his faith, ever. He wasn't um, ever obnoxious about his faith. Uh, my, my freshman roommate, Brian, nicknamed him Psycho. And, 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 and you know, he just used, used to, what, what, do we, what happens when we, someone calls us Psycho because of our faith? What do we do? I'm being persecuted. Look what happened to me today. Uh, I, you know, Greg, he, just, he, he would just smile. He was cool with it. After all, if someone's lost, isn't that what the lost do? Should, should, should it be any other way? And, and just one of the kindest guys. And, and uh, I remember uh, that I was in a sociology class with him. Sociology. Be careful of your sociology class, college students. Uh, there's a lot in there that is contrary to the Bible. Be, be, that's a warning for you. But anyway, the sociology uh, professor got up there one day, and I was towards the back of the room. Greg was immediately, Greg Johnson was immediately uh, in front of me. And uh, the professor at one point said, so well, I just want to show of hands here. Uh, tell me, why do people go to church? Why do people go to church? And, and one person um, raised their hand and they said, well, you know, it's because it's a custom in the area they live in. Another person said, well, they're parents. Another person said, well, you know, they're kind of pressured by people to go. And then the, uh, and I see Greg right in front of me. He's, he's, getting, he's getting antsy here. And, um, and then the professor said this, you know, here's another one. Uh, how about some people go to church because they're sadomasochists? Really, he said this. He said they're sadomasochists. They like going to church because they like having a preacher just flog them with a whip. Just how bad they are. And at that point, Greg Johnson raised his hand. And they called on him. He called on him, the professor, and he said, I don't know about everyone else, but I go to church to worship God. And you would not believe what happened to this room. See, I was in the back, so I, all of a sudden I, I see this. <laughs> and, 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 and then, he, you know, the professor, of course, this just struck him to the heart. He goes, oh, yeah, yeah, uh, you know, I'm an Episcopal, and, and, and you know, our, our prayer book, it's like our Bible. Like, what does that have to do with your question? I mean, he was, the guy was convicted. But, but, but the point I'm trying to make, brother, sister, or student, 
You got to take courage. Dave, can we have the, the proverb one more time? It says, the, 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 it, the end of the verse says, the righteous are as bold as a lion. You have been made righteous in Christ. Now, it's not a righteousness of your own. It's not a goodness of your own. But because of the Holy Spirit of Jesus Christ in you, you have been made righteous. And guess what? Happy, blessed are the persecuted. That's how joy comes, this crazy thing. So let's close with this. I'm going to have the worship team come up. Jesus' Jesus' burial, it says in verse uh, 42, it says they laid Jesus on the tomb, his burial. You know, usually when, when we are thinking about the last couple chapters of the gospel in our mind, we, well, you know what you do? I don't know if you do this. I do this. I, when I'm thinking about these last couple of j- chapters of Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John, I think about the resurrection, I mean, rather, the death of Jesus, and then I jump right to the resurrection. That's what I do. Which is what I do. That's what we have a tendency to do. In our mind, when we're thinking about the events at the end of Jesus' life, we jump right from the death of Jesus to the resurrection of Jesus. We shouldn't do that. We must never do that. Or if we do, we miss part of the message. Uh, More importantly, you know, all four Gospels mention Jesus' burial. Not only the death, not only the resurrection, but in between. A lot of ink is dedicated to his burial or, or a significant amount of ink. The burial is really important. Consider this, not only the four gospel, but here's what uh, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15. Many of you have heard this. For I deliver, this is the gospel here. For, for I delivered to you, first of all, that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, and he was buried, and, then, and he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. The Apostles' Creed, which many of you grew up saying, you stand up and you say this. Which is, it's a, it's a, not a bad thing. It's a good thing. It's a, it's a ritual, but it's a, it's a good ritual for thinking about the words. He, Jesus, was born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. It's, it's an important part of what we believe. Now, why? Why is it important? I mean, Jesus could have just taken off right, he dies on the cross, he bows his head, gives up his spirit, and then whoosh, you know. We see that happening in Acts chapter 1, right? 40 days later, in Acts chapter 1, he ascends into heaven. Doesn't happen. Right after he died on the cross, he's buried. Why? Number one, it's yet another fulfilled prophecy. Isaiah 53, I think it's 9, says this, And they made his grave with the wicked, but with the rich at his death. Joseph of Arimathea is called a rich man. And Nicodemus was also rich. It's a fulfilled prophecy. But listen, there's something else. And and I think this is a really, really big deal. When Jesus agreed to come to earth from heaven, That is one huge step down. (laughs)
would you not say that is one huge step down? When he agreed not only to come to earth, but to come into a poor family, that's even a further step down. When he he agrees to die, that's another step down. But let me tell you, when he agrees to be buried, that's as low as it gets. Is there any more picture that is more striking, more sobering, more tragic uh, of humanity, of, of all its brokenness, a picture of all its brokenness than a man or woman covered by a casket or, or in a tomb in complete darkness? Is there, any, is there any other picture that tells more just about the tragedy of sin and death and brokenness in our relationship with God? And being buried? Jesus was buried because it was his last and perhaps fullest identification with the fallenness and brokenness of mankind. Oh, how he loves. The Apostle's Creed says he was crucified, he was dead and buried, but then on the third day he raised from the dead. So everything after this, it's all glory from here on out. It's all glory. And God has decided to live, to have his glory live through you. Let's worship. Why don't you rise for worship in a closing worship song. If you've been asked to pray, if you could come up at this time, if there's any, any prayer that you have that's just stirred in your heart, just come up and I'll be up here. You can pray with me or one of the others. But let's worship. Let's pray. I'll close in prayer and then we'll worship. Father, we just thank you. Lord Jesus, we thank you. You came down to earth. That was a step down. Not only that, you came to a poor family. You died. And then in the end, you were buried. Oh, how you love us. Of course, the grave could not hold you. We were here because of that, Lord. But we love you just for taking the path that you did, Lord Jesus. For being willing to go so low for us. Tempted and tried, just as we and our forefathers have been, yet without sin. You lied in the tomb. A dead, sinless man. The God-man. We thank you for the resurrection, Lord. We do thank you for for agreeing to be buried. By your grace, we worship you. In Jesus' name.